So it's Martin Norbury here, author of A Don't Work Fridays, ex-CEO and business mentor, and welcome to our podcast, High Frequency Fridays. And as you know, we're on a mission to help businesses survive and thrive with the ultimate aim of helping people create a business that successfully runs whether they turn up or not. So today's guest is, now some of you may not have heard of this individual, but quite a few of you they'll be like you'll be the biggest fan of this individual because actually our guest today is ian mcleod who's the head coach of the newcastle eagles basketball team hi ian hi martin how are you oh we're really good we're really good so for people that just a little bit of background for you um or for them obviously so we're delving into the world of sport as people know i love talking about business and sport because there's so many parallels with business from leadership and culture through systems and success and, and stakeholders and all stuff. And as head coach of Newcastle Eagles um, basketball team, um, they play in the top tier of the British basketball leagues. That's like the you know, football, the Premier League, it's the cricket top, it's all that side of it. And are the most successful British basketball team of all time. Uh, I had the pleasure of spending quite a bit of time with um, Ian down the pub uh, during the summer. <laughs> uh, obviously, this was not a garden party. This was a, a an official, we were allowed to be out type of thing. Mm. Um, and talking about what he's achieved so far at the club and, and just understanding more about what people at your level do rather than just bouncing a ball. And as you know, our daughter, Lily's a massive fan of you. Uh, because you've coached her at the Silverbacks Basketball Club and she's seen you on TV quite a bit as well. So, um, welcome. Uh, before we tip off, um, is there anything else you'd like to add to your introduction? Um, no, not really. I mean, probably the only thing is is the different levels. I had the benefit of not coming in um, just to the professional side of the club. This is my third year as the head coach of the professional side, but it's seven years as assistant coach to that. There's 10 oh, years right. with the academy. There's, you know, nice. since I was 18 years old, I was doing community sessions, you know, that, that, that Lily's probably doing now, those similar things. Yeah. So I have seen the business and club grow from every angle, really, which is, it's nice. been huge for me, you know, a lot of experience there. Yeah, and I think that, that's another reason we wanted to get you on, because it's like, it's not like you say, you're, you're a manager that goes into a club, does something and then go, you, you've been part of the infrastructure of this for so long and you've seen so much. So whether people, I know sports people don't like to think it lies, but sport is a business and understanding all the stakeholders really gives people an advantage at what level they, that they're at. So let's kick off. Um, we focus on our scale model. Just again, for a reminder for, for people and for new listeners, uh, S is the, the setup, C is the congruence, how we align the setup to achieve it. Uh, A is the alerts, the alarms, how we measure on the journey. Are we going in the right direction? Do we need to change it? Uh, L is the lessons learned. Uh, how, how can we learn from what's going on out there to make ourselves better? And E is, is sort of the execution to say, actually, let's remove ourselves so we can elevate ourselves and have other people do, do those roles for us. So that's what we focus on. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, and knowing what you know now, let's say you were either, well, maybe three years ago when you came into this role, or you were going, should I say, to an you know, American uh, basketball team or somewhere else. What would you do first? I think the, the very first thing is to take stock. And it was actually, you could, you could lump this in, which what, what was the biggest mistake you made? 
Um, right. I came in, I came in with a hundred new ideas. Let's change everything. Let's do this. Let's do that. And the biggest thing that I learned very quickly was I didn't take stock of what was already working. Um, okay. so wh while I was, I was the new coach, I still had five or six players who were returning yeah. players who'd been there before. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of people refer to it as stop, start, continue. I, I think I read in your book, it, you know, the first 30 days listening to people and, you know, the next yeah. 30 days sort of what, what's not working. And then, then it's the strategy after that. And I think taking stock and evaluating what is actually working right now, what are the biggest things that we need to sort of have a, um, have a, a, an overhaul of, um, and not just thinking that there's, there's a brand new approach to everything. Maybe mm -hmm. these great ideas if you, you've got weren't put in for a reason. Maybe they were already thought of and maybe they didn't work in that situation. Nice. So I just say, you know, taking stock of what's there already and, and, and then sort of prioritizing, um, what are, what are the first things to change and things to get right immediately? Nice. And, and so, so you said that you learned that as a lesson and you would take that into anywhere you went going forward. What what manifested itself in, in the club to actually prove that to be a lesson to you? Um, because we learn from the experience. So what happened that you go, oh, yeah, I should, I should have actually looked more inwardly about what was going on, even though you've been there for quite a while, obviously. Yeah, it's a quite simple answer. It was the people. It wasn't... Right. Um, it, it wasn't ticket sales went up and down. It wasn't suddenly we were doing this better as a company. It was the players I was working with, their people first. Right. Um, you know, I went in and said, this is what we're going to do. And then after six weeks, I said, do you guys like this? Because we're not doing it very right. well. And they said, well, actually, okay. no, we don't like that. We'd rather do it this way. Or can we change this? And it was really what the players, and again, we're saying players, but really the people, what did they feel comfortable with? What yeah. did they want to try out? What what was actually um, amplifying and highlighting their strengths as opposed to what nice. did I want them to do? And I think, yeah. are, are we doing, are we asking people to do what we want them to do or what they're capable of doing or what we think they could be capable of doing? And I think that was, that, that was how it's manifested itself. Conversations with people, conversations with players who have experience um, and we made adjustments and we got better and we got better because of it. Perfect. So, so actually, in the scale model, you did everything in the exactly as the scale model would say, which is which is which is great. So, you you did have a strategy though when you went in because you you've been working there for some time. I presume there was a head coach before you, mm. so you did have something. You said actually, I want to stamp you know, the I want I, I want to keep the cult the the values the culture of the the, the basketball team and what the fans want. But I do want to put my own like authority onto it. Did, was that still the case, though? Yeah, very much. So I had six years as assistant. Um, this right. was it was going to be my it was going to be my seventh year. I actually only got the job seven days before the first players flew in. It was a very late um, late yeah. appointment. So I'd had six years already as assistant coach. Um, and as we all have, whether it's an assistant coach or whether it's an assistant manager in a in a corporation or a business. You have some, we should be doing this better and we should do this and we should do that. So there was some things that I thought I could make immediate improvements upon, which I did. It was small things like we just modernized the way we played a little bit. Um, right. We had a little bit more focus on offense as opposed to defense. Um, and there was, there was some tweaks that came in and worked very well. Um, mm. and, and I think the missing part of my strategy was um, 
what is working already like i like i alluded yeah. to earlier it's it's yeah. not that the new the new stuff i put in didn't work there was lots of successes there it was i i was looking for something that was 10 out of 10 when we already had something 10 out of 10 so why are we looking for somewhere else why change yes. it you know so sort of is if it, if it ain't broke don't fix it but the strategies yeah. if i if i could go back i'd be more people orientated with with what i wanted to do i'd get the I would get the players involved more. What do you want to see from this? Where do you want to go? Um, maybe set some um, set some landmarks from them, you know, so we yeah. we got our direction nice and early. We, yeah. you, uh, you know, it, short term, we want to do this, but let's grow so we can do this, as opposed to me coming in with a vision. Um, I don't think there was anything wrong with the vision I had. It just might not have been um, perfect. Uh, for what we needed and what we had at that moment, um, and it was a successful year. It wasn't. It wasn't like we struggled at all. You know, we won a trophy. You know, always you can say you did better. Um, yeah. But I, th I think the strategy of, of of giving player voices earlier from a from a from a goal setting point of view and from a philosophy yeah. point of view, not just from a what do you think of this point of view. Actually, instead of presenting them with what the options are. Actually, what have they got first before I filter them? Nice, I like I like that a lot. And um, we haven't had that sort of view before. We've had you know lots of what we we'd say that there's a corporate type view, and you know you must have a plan, you must have this. But but actually, um, one of the things I learned taking over a large business, uh, and it was a someone used the phrase "rubbishing the past." Um, and, and actually, it wasn't meant to be as an insult to what happened beforehand. But anything you say, like the new broom going forward, insinuates there was something wrong in the past. 100%. And what, what you forget and what you've just highlighted beautifully is the fact that people set those things up and they might still be in the club, in the business, in, in, in the organisation. So someone said to me, and it was, it was one of my mentors saying, yeah, just be careful because whatever you say about the future can rubbish the past. And it, 100%. Was, it was just yeah. a big eye-opener for me about yeah the, the person I most relied on could have instigated something which I'm now changing which basically says he's wrong and I don't mean that but mm. wow how you manage that is so 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 difficult yeah I agree I mean they won 24 trophies before I was head coach you've yes. won three we've won three with me as head coach okay great but a hundred percent right they, there wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like it was broken it, it, no. you know we had some things to fine-tune but I don't think there's a company in the world or a sports team in the world where if someone took over, we'd say we don't have to change anything. No one's perfect. Nothing's perfect. No. Um, it's just being careful, like you say, of, of what are you building on top of? Yeah, and I think, you know, you go to football, there's, you know, um, someone has referred to you as the Jurgen Klopp of the uh, basketball world, as you know. Um, and, um, you know, I, I've got two yeah, big, I love football, I'm a Liverpool fan. And I watch Guardiola and I watch Klopp, and they're both very, very different. And, and Klopp came in with a system, and it, you know he kept to the system continually, and then realised that there wasn't the personnel to a, to deliver the system, so he started to do that. And I think that's exactly what Guardiola did. Klopp's done it a bit longer. Guardiola came in with you know the the, the fullbacks running forward and coming into the centre, didn't have the people and changed it. So. They do come in, and I think that's the key thing we're trying to say to the listeners, is people do come in with a strategy, but you've got to understand what the culture of the business is, if there is a culture there beforehand, and how you can just overlay it to improve it rather than destroy it. Yeah, definitely. I remember that with Guardiola as well. It was the big reason Joe Hart left the club, 
because he wasn't yeah. good with his feet. He's a goalkeeper, exactly. and he wasn't great with his feet, and he wanted to improve distribution. You know, and, yeah. it, and again, it's not saying Joe Hart was a bad goalkeeper. No, it was we wanted to go in a different direction. We wanted to do something else. So I, I think everyone has those. Um, they, they they have those big decisions to make. Um, with yeah. you know, does do the people fit the system or the or, or the the ethos that you want to operate with? Yeah, and it's also not having the, the, the arrogance of a, of a leader to think that whilst I have a system and I know it can work, um, there's some things I can also learn from that business or that club that actually might adapt my system, which I think is the right thing and exactly what you did, which neatly brings us on to, so once you came in and you sort of realised actually there's certain things, I've got a hundred things to do, but actually I want to you know step back a bit, learn and understand it. Did you get to a point where, okay, this is now what we're going to do, and you've got that agreement. How, how did you align everything so it sort of followed down that route? And if there were people or departments or areas that didn't agree to it, how did you manage that? Well, I think the one thing I did do well, um, which is it's the opposite of what I've just said. What I said previously was more of the basketball side, how we're going to play yeah. basketball. But yeah. the culture, the culture side, um, I think that's something that 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 worked very well for us. You know, it was small things like we used to train eight till ten p.m. at night, and right. by you, by the time you finish training for a pro athlete, you've just finished training. You know, you, you spend half an hour, you're chatting, you're getting showered, whatever it is. It takes you half an hour to get home. You need to eat, and suddenly it's midnight, and you're a yeah. pro athlete, and you're trying to have. And I said, okay, let's flip this. When do we want to train? And asked the guys, and they said, "Let's be, let's go 10 a.m. till 12." Okay, great. Nice. Immediately, we'll do that. Um, it was little things, so that lent itself to being able to eat lunch as a team. Um, nice. So, so again, we're starting to grow a culture. We're starting to, we're, we're operating in more social sociable hours for people. Um, they're starting to, we're creating an environment where they can have a chat socially, not just about basketball after they've trained. And those type mm -hmm. of things were very good. So I did involve. Uh, the players, you know, what do you want this to look like around it? Now, if five months time they say, well, we don't like that. It says, well, we we agreed to this together. This wasn't a, yeah. we're going to do it this way. So, okay, yeah. we can steer and we can adjust. But I think if, if you are setting goals and you are deciding on a direction, if the people who are involved in that have some input into the objectives or the environment, they're, they're part of creating the environment they're going to be in it's then almost prevention as opposed to cure when you get to a point where someone doesn't like something, you know, yes. it, it, you know, the old saying, you know, what is it? An ounce of present prevention is worth a pound of cure or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I think that was a big thing that we did do. We never actually got to those major problems culturally or socially within the group or cohesion because we did build that side of stuff together. Nice. And you said that you were there seven days before the new players flew in. Is that because you have a again for people that you have an influx of players from the states or from Europe or from other areas? So they come into a club that is the most successful club. They have expectations. What do you do with them to get them aligned to actually not just the the facade of what it's all about, but the reality of what it's all about? I think the first thing to explain is probably how we recruit the vast majority of players in the British Basketball League are on one-year contracts. Um, right. So the, the season ends in May and there's a, there's a high turnover. You, you get your core of British players, which you, you know they, they generally do return and yeah. you know, they, they'll be at the club multiple years. 
um, but you're allowed four non-British players, four work permit players, essentially. So, which okay. generally does mean Americans. Um, yeah. So there is usually quite a high turnover of that. Now, at that recruitment point, I think it's extremely important to lay out expectations, um, yes. not just your expectations, not just to say, I expect us to win two trophies, have 20 wins, and this is how many minutes you're going to play. It's not that. It's their expectations as well. What are you expecting yeah. from this? Because we've had plenty of people who say, yeah, I want to come, I want to sign for the club, and I want to start at this position. And we say, actually, we don't see you starting at that position. And either they say, well, okay, I want to join anyway and work my way up, or it's no mm -hmm. problem, good, good luck somewhere else, but this is how we feel. So I don't want people stepping off the plane and wondering, oh, hold on, this isn't what we talked about. So we lay out very clearly um, their role and what it will be. We lay out very clearly their commitment to the community because we're, we're big and working with our community. We do two sessions a week where we, we visit primary schools. And I don't want an American coming in, landing here and thinking, what, I have to go to a school now and give a talk? Um, so I'll spend a good hour on the phone, an hour on the phone before they've even, you know, signed the contract, explaining what it is, you know, what's and all as well. It's it's not a selling time. It's a, it's a time to lay it all out of what it will be. Um, and I think that yeah. prevents any shocks or any confrontation when um, when those those obligations do come up. Yeah, nice. Yeah, because, again, they have expectations. You have expectations. And again, if they're not matched or they don't understand, then that's just going to cause a huge problem, not just for them, but ripples throughout the whole team and everything. Because mm. as we know, one, one person that doesn't quite fit in can be quite acidic to other people around the, you know, if there's a slight disgruntlement somewhere else, they'll expand on that and expose that quite considerably. So that's why we feel, you know, the alignment of, you've done a really good induction, but getting the right people in, is, I think Jim Collins says in one of his books, you know, the, the right people on the bus. Um, mm. If you've got the wrong people on the bus, then, then you, you can't go anywhere, really. So getting mm. the right people on the bus is, is half the battle with the alignment. What about other stakeholders? Because I, I assume for you, been where you are in, in the, in the you know, it's like you know, Man City or Liverpool, we'll use those again just as examples. But you know, every year is a new year. There are new goals, uh, <laughs> literally, but there are new targets and new expectations. Um, do you have that alignment challenge from like the senior stakeholders right the way through to the fans? Yeah, for sure. And you know, one of the most difficult things about professional head coaching is um, it's in a book by Cody Royal. Actually, he says um, you're hired for your processes, you're fired for your results. And <laughs> nice. You can have the best culture. You can, you know, it can be like Google. Guys are playing pool and stuff in between their lunch breaks and take holidays as much as you want. And that's great. But if it's not performing, someone's going to get fired. And that yeah. just is on the, the harsh truth. So your players can be happy. Your players can be uh, developing well. They can be playing great basketball. But at the end of the day, are you winning and are you winning trophies? So um, so things like, you know, it, expectations from, from above. You know, we must finish in the top four. We must win one trophy every year or whatever it is. Nowhere does it say... We must have a great culture. We must be practicing at socially acceptable times. The players should be happy. It doesn't say yeah. any of that. Um, yeah. And one of the hardest things to accept is you still need to promote that, I believe anyway. You still That's need right. to promote all of that. Yeah. And you might not be able to measure it on a spreadsheet. Um, so yeah. there's that from the owners. There's also that from the crowd and from the fans as well. They're expecting a certain level of performance from a big team. Um, every fans, every set of fans have this. Um, it's just the expectations differ. And 
you know, yesterday is forgotten very quickly. You know, we won two we won two trophies at the end of last year. We won the BBL playoff championship. And day one of the new season was just day one of the new season. It didn't matter that the last time you got together, you won a trophy. It's what have you got now and what can you do now? Yeah. So those those expectations are being continuously renewed. It's almost like rolling expectations. It doesn't matter what you did last week, win the next one. Um, yeah. And I think when you, as a leader, that is a, that is a very heavy burden to carry, that you have to continuously yeah. do this. Um, and you actually take solace from playing the right way, about having a mm-hmm. good culture, um, about doing the right things, if that's what you want, you know, arguments about what the right things are. But And if you're doing that, um, you know you're putting yourself in the best the best position you can to achieve those those, those expectations. Yeah, and it's, it brings it again, neatly onto that we're talking about the, the measurement of success and you know, there's, um, we talk about in, in our, with our clients about, you know, there's inputs and there's outputs and there's the value you add in the middle. So, um, and as long as you've got the right inputs and you have the right value, the outputs should take care of themselves. So whilst the, the owners of clubs like yours or people like, so actually you want to win two tracks, blah, 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 you know, you can't say some, well, the, the goal is to win. You can say the goal is to win, but you can't have a, a process that does that unless it starts at delivering all the things to enable that. So I use, I use a stupid example, which someone can ever think of, is if I want to hit a ball 250 yards on a golf course, I don't go out and try and hit a ball 250 yards on a golf course. I, I practice my swing. And if my swing works really well, is fluid, is rhythmical, it's got the right balance and everything, then the rest of it takes care of itself. So for, for, a, for a sports, and I think it's the same for a businessman, you know, for me, I might look at someone's, one of my clients' business and say, hey, they want to hit like three million turnover this year. I don't look at, okay, let's hit three million. I look at what do you need to do to, in, in, in habitual ways to get to the three million then. Mm-hmm. So this is why yeah. we call it the alerts and the alarms. So non, you said non-measurement things like you know, basket mm-hmm. score, stuff like that. What are some of the key things that you would put to your team that gives them the habits and the abilities to actually get those end results that the owners and the fans want? So we do a few things. I, I mean, the first thing is split them two ways. It's qualitative and quantitative. And the quantitative yeah. is so easy. If yes. you want to learn about the quantitative, just open Twitter and they'll tell yeah. you, you know, oh, this person, you know, I saw a stat the other day, Watford have had 12 managers since they last kept a clean street. And I was like, oh, great. But have yeah. they won 3-1 in all of those games? It's irrelevant yeah. unless it's given context. Yeah. So, so the quantitative is the easiest one. Um, the stats are there, they're all over. The, the detail we have in stats is unbelievable. So that does actually win on, you know, we should be doing this better or that better, or this is a strong point for us. But the qualitative is the more interesting. So the two, if you want to call them micro macros for basketball, are the technical and the tactical. Now, the technical nice. execution, technical execution underpins tactical delivery. Yeah. So you could say, this is our style of play. Um, we want to do this, this, and this. Okay, but to do that well, we have to make sure, uh, you know, our footwork is correct and able to do that. You know, it's just breaking things down, really. And that is all qualitative, you know, and it's use of Mm -hmm. video, it's use of analysis. um, And it is keeping those things alive um, each day um, and not just thinking you're going to do them well on Friday. Um, And then we have somewhere kind of in between. So 
we, for instance, we have a we have an assistant. It's actually a player who's injured for the season, um, but we've got him back involved with the analysis and coaching side. Um, and he he tracks things that you wouldn't normally track in basketball. So, for instance, okay. if someone if someone deflects a pass, we track deflections. How many times did you get a hand on the ball? Maybe you didn't steal the ball, but how many times did you di- disrupt a pass? Um, okay. How many times did you give a hustle player? You know, you just give an extra little bit of effort. And it might say that someone else got the rebound or someone else got the points. And they're those really hard um, quantitative measures. Um, but you actually got a deflection which led to it. You did. You had a hustle play which enabled them to do that. So we're tracking the, the slightly softer quantitative elements, um, it, which is somewhere between that technical and tactical that we're talking about. And then we also... Nice. We track things like how many times did you get beaten 1v1? Um, and what happens then is when we keep bringing, bringing those to life, the players start asking, how many deflections did I get in this, this training session? And suddenly okay. it becomes important to them. It was important yeah. to you, now it's important to them. And now it's starting to underpin your your macros or your style of play and what you want to achieve really. Um, so yeah, that kind of a long-winded answer there, but that's how, no, no, that's how, that, that's no, how we try to bring the habits to life, you know? And the real, the real bit of genius in that, which I don't know if our listeners have picked up on, I'm sure they would have done because they're clever and I am, is the bit about that the, the players now want to own that <clears throat> because it's important to them. They want to know what's going on. They start to deliver, you know, because I, I do find, and I, I'm, I'm, I mentor in mastermind groups where lots of businesses come together and we talk about their businesses individually. You get roughly an hour with each business, so like 10 hour day, and then everyone hears it. Every, so, so you get one hour on their business and then you get nine hours on everybody else's. Sort of thing. <laughs> so, so, so they learn a lot from themselves, but they learn a lot from everyone else. And um, sort of one of the challenges along the line is, is to get them to understand uh, exactly about measurements. And they go, oh, what do you want me to measure? I'm like, no, no, it's not about what we want you to measure. What's important for you to measure? And I'll tell you what, the, the key differential for the businesses that sky, literally skyrocket and, and it's like they've suddenly got their jetpack and they've gone is when they realise that the measurement is not for anybody else but them. Mm. Yeah. Because then, yeah. then we say, what that now does is it asks your business or whatever, it questions. And when you start to ask questions, you come up with answers. And when you start to come up with answers, you start to take off. And I can see it every time. There's that little moment in their eyes when they go click and they get it. And I think what you just highlighted there is, when, you know, you, you might measure things that people go, don't get why he's doing deflections or something. But then when it starts to work for them and they get it and they start to own it, wow, what a difference that makes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a philosophy. Um, it's a philosophy I've worked through for a few years. Um, it's at, it, it, the book I read, it, it talks about a flashlight philosophy. And without going into detail, it was from the US Navy and a, a guy, the first thing he did on the first day of the job is he bought a really good flashlight, really powerful one. And he started walking around with it, eat dinner with it and everything. And then suddenly he realized that the second week other crew members had bought a new flashlight. And everyone right. was really everyone was really concerned that their batteries were, were working well and their flashlights worked well. And they all started to bring on the same philosophy. And it just takes that one player to really care yeah. about their deflections. And the next player starts to care about their deflections. And now suddenly you've got healthy competition within your performance, not just your outcomes, your performance each day. Yeah. And those habits start to grow, the competitive starts to grow, and suddenly you, you built that culture you were after, that competitive culture that is sort of technically driven. 
Yeah, and it, 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 I suppose it, it, if they get wins from it as well, it accelerates that. Um, the, 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 the broken glass and graffiti story in New York is one of the classic ones by, I think it was Rudolph Giuliani, the mayor at the time, is he said that people don't take pride in their areas. Um, so everyone just treats their areas like dumping grounds. So he said, we are going to not have any broken windows and no graffiti. So he literally had vans going around replacing windows constantly. They're breaking every day constantly. And then people started going, oh, the place looks better. And then they started taking a pride. And then, you know, they saw a few kids putting graffiti, you know, slap around their head sort of thing. And, and suddenly it grew and grew and grew because of two, two things, broken windows and graffiti. But it created a, a winning scenario that people could buy into. And it changed, I think it, it does. I think two things that changed New York. I think the, pro the, the, the only problem with that is it does have a shelf life. So if yes. we're on, look, oh, we're great with deflections. We're fantastic with deflections. But we haven't won in four games. Yeah. You know, and then it starts to have a shelf life. And I think how you drive those things has to, it's very careful how you do drive them because you yeah. can't just focus on that. Because, yes, okay, no. the fans want to win every game. The owner wants to win every game. You know, if it's a business, we're doing all these great things, but we're losing money. You know, yes. you can't, they can't be a crutch. They've got to add value, not be a crutch to sort of hold up what you're doing and support it. Yeah, I learned from uh, again one of my my uh, Mr. Ger Mr. Jurgen Klopp about the Gagan press and when he when he came in and he put no, we'd never heard of that word before. Uh, now everyone seems to do it. Um, <laughs> in fact, Brighton are the second best team doing it in the league, which is incredible mm. when you look at what's going on. But but what you know, he came in saying, "Believe in what I've got. Here's what I've got." And then whilst we'd lose still lots of games, you could see elements of games where they got it right. And no team could touch us at that point. And that, that was the bit. And we call that in our model, the legacy of the new dawn. Is you can't, you can't change the whole thing instantly. But if you can find little snippets where you go, that's what, that's what we do. And people go, God, if we could take all of that and multiply that throughout the whole game, wow, what a different place we'd be in now. And I think that's the, that's the difference between um, doing it, but having those little things to do. So, so that, that, that brings us round to, okay, so we, we've got our setup, we've gone in, we've learned stuff, we've got a strategy, we've given it to people, we've aligned and they've come in and they've, they've bought into it and we've bought into them. And we're sort of measuring those things and we're doing like the deflections and stuff along those lines. So we've sort of got, we're on our journey now and we're into the season, as you, you know, into the year, business year for a business. Um, but as things start to, as you just said, fall apart, go wrong, not quite go right, how do you create a culture where heads don't go down? Like if you would lose, I don't know, I'm, I'm tracked your, your results recently, but if you lose two games, you, you know, two games on a trough, you might be a, a catastrophe. But if you look at any club in, or any business, if they have two months of negative profit or a club loses two games, how do you then create that culture where it's okay we, we can try it and if we don't quite get it right it doesn't matter as long as we keep going down that route um just before i get you to answer i, I listened to, to mr stephen gerrard at villa the other day when mm. they lost to man united which must have really hurt him based on his background but he said and he said about matty catch who's one of his left backs and he said i don't mind that mistake because i asked him to play that way and he failed or he didn't do it because he played the way I asked him to. So that's my responsibility. And I thought, wow, how refreshing is that? Because it, it says to the players, I'm backing you all the way along the line. Yeah. 
I, yeah, and I think that you hit the nail on the head with that. It's actually a, a situation we were in. I know you said you haven't maybe followed results, but we'd lost four league games in a row, um, yeah. which is just not, it's, it's not what we do. It's, it's not. A, it's way below expectations. Um, and we've had that situation recently. And I think it, you ask the question, how do you have that culture at that point? And I think the key is you have to have already built a culture yes. which can withstand the downs. Um, any culture can, can can celebrate the ups, but withstanding the downs yeah. is huge. Um, I think the first thing is you have to self-reflect as a leader first. Um, I've just had a, a you know one of the coaches I work with now. We've just been talking today, um, and they've had a disappointing loss at a younger age group. And I asked him. I said the first thing you need to do is analyze how you prepared that team. Were you happy with what you did? And I asked him to, for two things. What did you ask them to do? Were they capable of doing it? That's the first mm -hmm. part. And the next thing was, if you think they're capable of doing it, what was the barrier to them delivering it? No, um, no. Because if your communication, if you if you reflect that actually, I, I wasn't clear with what I what these guys were expected to do, then it comes on you. You know, it, it rests on your toes. Unfortunately, you know, yeah. we have as as leaders, we have to be, um, we have to have. A, a level of comfort to execute while still pushing them forward to be better. Um, yeah. So I think that's the first thing. The next thing is you have to be brave. Um, you have to be brave, but you have to be really honest with your reflections. Um, a lot of people talk about looking at themselves in the mirror. Uh, and I joke with a friend of mine about the mirror has to be clean. <laughs> you, you can look in the mirror, but the mirror has to be clean. We called it the, yeah. uh, I called it the Windex paradigm it was interesting. Um, there's no point looking at a dirty mirror. Can you be honest with your self-reflections and what you've done? Um, but then also you want to be brave and make changes. But again, just like I said at the very start, what is actually working? There might be some things yeah. you don't need to change. Just to, don't go and change everything for the sake of change. It has to be a tangible change that you can see will make a difference. Um, I think when you recruit the right type of people and you've worked hard early to create a culture of that, um, those downtimes, people are more willing to, to, to try something different um, or, or even just try to do the same thing better. Um, and I think it comes down to the people you've got in your environment um, uh, before those down those downtimes come. Yeah, brilliant. There's, Gio, um, I'm going to listen to that one little segment again because there's some real, real good stuff. In fact, there's too many for me to go back and go, but there's some really, really good stuff there. Like you say, you've got to create the culture originally. You can't just suddenly uh, invent it. Um, and you've got to, you know, you've got to plan for the downsides or the upsides. There's some real good stuff in there. And I think a lot of our our clients and our, our listeners will really, you know, take something out of that because for them, yeah, when something goes wrong, they might be as leaders, as, as owners, a bit super critical about it. But of course, all that does is it pushes that fear into their teams, into their staff, which means their staff are less likely, one, to, to try new things and be brave, and, and two, is actually own up if there's an issue. And, and what you want is you want everybody pulling in the same direction to get to the same result. And if there's an issue, to go, hey, we've got a problem here. But if you hide that, then that's awful. And, and you know, businesses need to, one of the things I found in corporate life that bringing into small businesses, small businesses need to learn that really quickly is it's okay to make a mistake as long as you understand it, know why it happened, try and change it. But if you literally fire people for mistakes, then all you're doing is creating a culture where mistakes can never happen, but of course they always do. 
of course uh, of course and that that, that just yeah it, re- it really does wind me up in businesses because it's uh, it's counterintuitive to being perfect you, you can't be um so really our, our final bit on that side of it is you, you you're at the the head of the playing game for your team and you've got lots of people around you our listeners a lot of them are not at that level in their business they've got a day job i would call it so they're either in sales or marketing or finance or HR. You know, they're in something delivery you know um, you went through this process of elevating yourself to that role and you're in that role but what did you see as you were going up in that echelon what did you see that from your people above you them doing to get you into that level um i th- i think they pushed responsibility down which i'm a right. huge fan of doing responsibility ownership not, not sure responsibility is the right word um but for instance, the previous head coach, um, he was actually playing as well. He was a player coach, um, right. which is great to 44 years old, an incredible shape. Um, yeah. And he would just simply say, you know, Mac, call me Mac. He said, Mac, you're coaching the game. Oh, Mac, this is your training session. You coach it. And he gave me, he gave me a, a, an insight to what the being the head coach was before I had the pressure of being the head coach. So he really did drive responsibility and and, and expectation and, and ownership. He drove it down the, the, the hierarchy, if that's what you want to call it. Um, yeah. And it, it wasn't a do it this way. It was you go and do it, which sometimes was infuriating because when you're, you're really trying to get better, sometimes you, there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know what's next. I'm not sure about this. And he would be like, don't worry, you've got it. You can do it, you know, type of thing. Sometimes that was a bit infuriating in the moment, but looking back, that was so much expedited learning um, nice. at that age. I know. So if we're talking about getting ready to hand stuff over, that's not going to be a light switch. I don't believe. I don't believe no. one day you just you just don't go into the office and someone takes over. Um, yeah. You have to. They have to have real responsibility, not fake responsibility. Where you know, oh, we don't have a game this week, so now you can do the training. There's nothing on that. There's there's no yeah. there's no ramifications if it goes wrong. The pressure has to start to add. Um, so yeah. I, I I think just giving them tangible and effective responsibility where things that will make a difference if it's done well, if you can yeah. do that before it's do or die for your team or your yes. business, you, you can put yourselves in those situations as much as possible. I think that's a it, it's a huge way to expedite learning. Yeah, and, that, and that, you, you've hit the nail on the head for, for what we say to our clients is, is most of our uh, people at the level that we work with, they they want to have a business that runs without them, but they won't let go enough to be able the people that would do that job to be able to do it. And also, what happens is if anything goes wrong, they just jump straight in there and fix it. So every nobody actually learns whether they can. And what, what I, you know, that's why we have the Don't Work Fridays as well. We say to people that just take a day out, a week, and see what happens. Because actually, the evidence of what happens will show you what areas that person needs to learn from. Um, there is a fear of failure in obviously business that if we give it to someone, they they might not do it as well. There's also a fear of success. And what I say about that is a lot of owners are worried if they give the responsibility to one of their team, they'll do it better. Yeah, self-preservation. 
Yeah, exactly. And then suddenly they go, oh my God, I'm not needed anymore. What do I do? And stuff like that. So there's two reasons, but you know, again, you explained it a lot better than I did. So that sort of, that sort of wraps us up really. Um, that's the end of our, our scale model and our journey through, um, through how that applies into sport and especially into you know, elite sport, which, I, which again, I can't thank you enough for uh, explaining how that works in, in your environment and what you do. Um, so for any of our uh, listeners, because they've got so much out of this, if they just want to learn more about sort of the Ian McLeod philosophy, wh where can they do that? Is there anything out there that they can read? Well, first off, I think you're the, you're the first person to coin it as the Ian McLeod philosophy. I think um, <laughs> the best the best philosophies are, are borrowed and stolen and adjusted oh, yes. and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. But it's how um, we put them together, isn't it? It is, it is, it is. Um, I mean, follow me on Twitter, Coach McLeod. That might be the best way. Um, but no, you see the team on Sky Sports and different things as well. If you look hard enough, we're all over YouTube and things. Um, yes. But I mean, a lot of my learning is 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 come from um, you know pursuing others, you know. Um, and there's there's plenty out there uh, to learn from. And some of my big influences was I really enjoyed your book. Actually, I think scarily. Scary. The biggest thing I related to in your book was sitting under a tree watching cricket and having to cram in for something that you hadn't prepared for. <laughs> My history there. Ah, that hit that hit home for me more than anything. Um, but there's quite a few out there. A book I mentioned earlier was um, "Turn the Ship Around" by David Marquette. Yeah. Uh, Co Cody Royal's got some good, some really good stuff called "The Tough Stuff," which is all about being a head coach. Um, but yeah, if you want to see some British basketball, there's a little bit on Sky, not as much as but. Uh, the, the websites are out there and we're on YouTube as well, but uh, we could always use some more fans if anyone is interested. I'm sure they will be. Um, I, I, it's been a privilege and honour and I, I really, really appreciate your time because I know that's so precious to you. So uh, once again, thank you so much. Uh, have a great season and hope you win loads of stuff, but more importantly, you will enjoy it as well. Thank you very much, Martin. Appreciate you having me on. All right, cheers, mate.